Chapter Three of the Sealed Message by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three, Fairyland. Notwithstanding his fantastical babble to MacAndrew, Gerald was a shrewd young man. He prosecuted his search for the unknown sender of the message less to find a wife than to see the end of the adventure at the enjoyable age of thirty he was not particularly keen on getting married although his friends persistently advised him to do so but as haskins pertinently observed it was absurd to marry merely for marrying's sake when i meet the woman said gerald wisely i shall ask her to be my wife otherwise and a shrug would complete the unfinished sentence todd was quite ready to leave the conclusion of the fishing adventure to his friend being in love with a particular girl he thought of her only and had no wish to search for another girl even though she were an illiterate princess who fluted like a nightingale what with earning his living and fighting lady euphemia and wooing charity bird and tricking mrs pelham odin who was strongly opposed to that wooing macandrew's hands were quite full within two days he betook himself to london keen upon seeing the moon fay ballet in which charity was dancing but before his departure he unwittingly did gerald a service by learning something about the pixie's house and that same something was less romantic than unpleasant according to todd the thing came about by accident but haskins who believed that everything was designed even to the winking of an eye insisted that macandrew had been purposely lured into conversation with the labourer who had mentioned leegarth and the pixie's house at a nine o'clock breakfast on the very day of his departure todd mentioned to his friend that he had been taking a morning walk i had a beastly wakeful night last night grumbled todd while geary brought in a dish of trout and some hot rolls it made me sick tumbling and tossing so i dressed and strolled out at six o'clock why didn't you waken me asked haskins i would have come also not you i'd have been cursed for an hour everyone knows what an infernal sleepy-head you are jerry however i walked up the hill on to the moors and had a glorious view of the surrounding country i saw the stream where we fished in the hollow two miles away trees and occasional glimpses of the water you know and ever so far away there was a square towered church with a cluster of red-roofed houses quite poetical my toddy murmured gerald helping himself to eggs and ham and rather bored by this geographical description the morning made me poetical said macandrew simply it was uncommonly ripping you know there was a labouring johnny coming along and i asked him the name of the church he said it was leegarth church and leegarth village hum that's where reb's wealthy relative lives todd nodded as it was early i had a mind to walk over and look about but i first asked the man if there was anything of interest to see he grinned and told me that i might call at the pixie's house gerald looked up and was about to speak eagerly when geary appeared again with a fresh supply of rolls oh the pixie's house said haskins carelessly what's that why you know began todd foolishly when he caught sight of a warning scowl on haskins's face and a look of interest on that of geary's you know went on todd artfully that i can't talk if you interrupt but it's all so dull objected haskins with a shrug not what i am about to tell this labourer said that a lunatic lived in the pixie's house looked after by another lunatic the blind leading the blind go on the first lunatic is a girl and the second an old woman the girl never comes out and no one has ever seen her but the old woman does shopping and all the rest of it that's all what infernal rubbish 
said haskins crossly he did not like his unknown princess to dwindle to a commonplace lunatic and yet when he remembered the spoken message it did seem a trifle mad well and did you call at the pixie's house not me i walked in another direction and came back to breakfast i have no use for crazy people with all respect jamplum remarked mr geary unexpectedly the story of dat man is all twisty turny oh said haskins apparently careless but really with anxiety so you know of this queer business geary very lil oh very lil sah dat pixie house ver ole and ver tumble down in heaps only one mad person there jamplum which one the old woman or the young one asked todd abruptly oh dey boff dere jamplum but de young lady is the mad person she been dere afore i come years and years and years oh ever so long go dis poor lady she want to kill people wid knives and de old woman's she watch her dat she not get out to kill de old woman's not a mad person jamplum oh no dat all wrong she watch the other you no go near dat pixie house jamplum ended the landlord earnestly or dat young lady she kill you boff dead as coffin lids haskins felt disgusted he desired to find fairyland and it seemed as though his search would end in discovering a lunatic asylum what is the lunatic's name he asked mavis durham i tink and all woman's she called Bellaria. funny names mused todd and rather pretty mavis means a thrush i fancy but Bellaria. gerald recalled a charming book of italian folklore which he had read some months before Bellaria was the etruscan dawn goddess or the goddess of flowers i forget which he remarked strange that any one in a secluded devonshire village should be called so hm is this old woman an italian geary i do not know sir replied the man promptly i no go to dat leegarth no never never and you no go too jamplum dat mavis lady ab de knife in you if you go dere homicidal mania said todd learnedly and cheerfully haskins shuddered it seemed terrible to think that the owner of that silvery voice who had sent so delightfully quaint a message should be a dangerous lunatic not responsible for her actions when the landlord took his departure he made an observation rather to himself than to his friend the message was sane enough he said thereby contradicting his first impression when geary spoke of the lunacy well i don't know answered macandrew doubtfully all that fairy business and talk of not being able to read or write seems queer i suppose you'll chuck the adventure now that you know this probably said haskins evasively so that todd should not worry him but in his heart he had a longing to probe the matter deeper later in the day gerald escorted todd to selbury and saw him off to london macandrew left with the impression that gerald would carry out his prearranged programme and travel to st ives on the ensuing day but when haskins walked back to denley he was far from having made up his mind to such a course it seemed incredible that the sender of the message should have homicidal tendencies all the same if she had not the law would certainly have prevented her incarceration in the old leegarth mansion known as the pixie's house that she could not read or write was quite possible since she had used the phonograph 
and yet in this age of education it appeared improbable that any one could be so ignorant the wording of the message was that of an imaginative but not of a weak brain and the spirit of poetry it breathed appealed to the young man himself a poet of no mean order on the whole decided gerald i shall go to exeter to-morrow and get that canoe on that same evening when geary went for his usual walk haskins again slipped the record into the machine and again drank in the music of that perfect voice then for the sake of hiding his secret since the landlord unexpectedly returned he set the phonograph to grind out the godly hymns which were geary's delight these were dismal enough in words and tunes but all through them sounded in gerald's charmed ears the silvery lilt of the fairy princess's tones the owner of such a voice could not possibly be crazy haskins rather regretted that he had not asked major rebb about the pixie's house and its occupant rebb doubtless knew the village of leegarth excellently well since he came down occasionally to see his elderly relative for the moment haskins was tempted to write and ask questions but on second thoughts he made up his mind to explore for himself he was even glad that todd had departed for now the secret was entirely his own and he wished to share it with no one he therefore abstained from talking to geary on the subject for he had learned all that was possible from that source and what he had learned was so decidedly unpleasant that he did not wish to hear any more as it afterward turned out his reticence was wise the next day haskins informed geary of his intention to remain in denley for another week and the negro expressed his delight at the decision adonis was a cheerful soul who had travelled widely in the humble capacity of a steward on board various liners he therefore approached more intellectual society than he could obtain in lethargic denley haskins with an eye to copy after the fashion of the literary man found geary's experiences both entertaining and useful as for the landlady she was a nonentity who worked like a horse and was as dumb as one she seemed to be somewhat afraid of her ever-smiling husband and gerald thought that there might be some cause for such dread with all his suave manners geary's one eye hinted at sinister doings but as yet haskins knowing him only on the surface had no fault to find with his personality there was some difficulty in finding a precisely suitable canoe in exeter but having made up his mind a singularly obstinate one gerald never rested until he had attained his object in a couple of days he returned to the devon maid with a light birchwood affair which he had purchased from a returned canadian immigrant this the young man temporarily bestowed in an outside shed and informed his landlord casually that he intended to explore the waters of the ruddle as the stream was called the name evidently came from the streaky red banks between which it flowed geary advised his guest to travel downstream towards silbury as the canoe would there be impeded by fewer stones needless to say as leegarth was in precisely the opposite direction haskins had no intention of taking this well-meant advice and indeed because of the very difficulty in navigating the upper reaches of the ruddle he had purchased the canoe for he could carry so light a craft along the banks when stones and weeds blocked up the waterway when gerald took his indian coracle down to the river next afternoon he saw how wise he had been in not buying a heavier boat as the little stream wound its devious way through the dense woods it grew yet more narrow and on the whole somewhat shallow here and there deep pools were to be found inshore but as a rule the current flowed lightly over a shingly bed foaming round gigantic stones or bubbling over the trunks of fallen trees the distance to leegarth as the crow flies could not have been more than three miles 
but the stream twisted so oddly and the difficulties of navigation were so great that gerald sometimes doubted if he would reach his journey's end several times he was forced to climb the steep banks and drag his canoe through thickly growing saplings but on the whole the tiny shallop behaved with the dexterity of an eel in slipping through dangerous places nevertheless his travelling was more like the exploration of unknown lands than like a civilized river trip in mapped-out england late in the day about six o'clock and when the western sky was beginning to glow with the hues of a soap-bubble the adventurer found himself in a less toilsome position after the choked stream where the trees met overhead it was a relief to float into an immense pool fenced in by precipitous red cliffs draped with vividly green vegetation gerald emerged into this haven with a feeling of thankfulness and laid down his paddle both to rest his weary muscles and to examine his romantic surroundings the pool was nearly circular and as the narrow ruddle flowed in at one end and out at the other the whole resembled a bead on a string on the placid waters brimming like those of a mill-dam the canoe floated idly until it touched the left bank haskins therefore saw on the right hand a tall cliff of ruddy earth overgrown with bushes and surmounted by a fringe of trees between these he espied a ruinous grey stone wall clothed thickly with ivy as there were two or three small windows in this wall gerald guessed that it formed the side of a dwelling-place and guessed moreover that from one of those same windows the sealed message had been thrown into the pool it was of course merely a surmise that the pixie's house was built on the top of this inland cliff but bearing in mind the cylinder with its attached bladder haskins felt certain that he was correct the imprisoned mavis durham could only have launched her message from the cliff-top gerald had now practically arrived at his journey's end as he had discovered the palace of the sleeping beauty shut in by enchanted woods he therefore paddled swiftly under the cliff itself to see how he could storm the castle todd would have called it a lunatic asylum in his coarse way but gerald the poet preferred the more romantic appellation also after hearing that wonderful voice he made up his rash mind that he would not believe in the alleged insanity of mavis durham until he had seen her and had spoken with her if she were really a homicidal maniac he could return with some regrets to the workaday world but if she was all that he hoped she would be well gerald drew a long breath as he thought thus if she were as beautiful as her voice as poetic as her message he did not know what would happen yet as a young man dizzy with the wine of life he should have known but such things for good or for evil were yet on the knees of the most high gods at the upper end of the pool the adventurer found a stone landing-stage with an iron ring to which he fastened the canoe he leaped lightly on to the rugged platform and climbed up a rude stair to find himself facing an arched opening hewn in the face of the cliff it was masked more or less by neglected bushes and evidently had not been made use of many years still it undoubtedly led upward to the battlements of the enchanted castle so haskins pushed his way through the trees and clambered up a ruinous and twisting stair in complete darkness here indeed was an adventure not often to be met with in this unromantic age and the young man's body thrilled as he experienced hitherto unknown emotions he was sir galahad searching for the grail columbus staring at a newly discovered world a calendar from the arabian nights stumbling upon the magical beauty of the world a gin's daughter lovely and unapproachable 
up and up went the stair twisting and turning like an eel until haskins losing count of time thought he was mounting to the north star finally the step ceased to wind and the explorer clambered up a straight flight which terminated in a small opening out of which he emerged on to the top of the cliff and immediately below the ivy-draped wall the house stood about twenty yards from the verge of the cliff and the space between was filled with long grass with stunted bushes and with tolerably tall trees all in full summer foliage on looking up gerald saw pointed roofs of weather-worn red tiles twisted stacks of chimneys and grey stone turrets the whole so overgrown with greenery that it looked as though the mansion were a portion of the earth itself there was no door in the wall visible if there had been one as was probable to reach the landing-stage it had been blocked up or was hidden by the darkly green ivy faint heart never won fair lady thought gerald unoriginally and began to swarm up the natural ladder afforded by the tough roots of the creeper out of breath he gained the top of the wall and flinging his leg over sat astride to view this jack and the beanstalk country then he beheld charity bird End of chapter 3